Hi everybody, um, Sophia here, just me today. Um, we are going to be interviewing one of my family members. Um, her name is Lisa and we have a pretty cool show today because this is a topic that I, I don't think people really talk about at all or really know much about. I think people maybe talk about it sometimes like as a joke but there, it, it's a real thing, and I think people don't talk about it so much um, and know what they're talking about when they do talk about it. So my aunt, she has schizophrenia, and, and is that the official diagnosis? Well, I've had many official diagnoses. Yeah. Right now it's schizoaffective disorder. It was schizophrenia about two years ago, but they changed it. Okay. So now it's schizoaffective disorder. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that is so hard about that illness in particular is that people really don't know because nobody's in your head to, like, officially diagnose it so well. So um, I know a lot of cases of, like, I actually know a couple of other people who struggle with the illness as well that um, they also aren't able to get one diagnosis, mm -hmm. which leads to a lot of issues. I know that it led to some for you too. Yeah, I mean, getting the right medication, you know, is a is a is a problem, because they don't know. They don't. There's no CAT scan or you know MRI that can tell you what your illness is. They just go by symptoms, and so you know, diagnosing this is not the easiest thing in the world to do. So. Mm -hmm. So. I first want to kind of start out with what is it? <laughs> like, what is schizophrenia? What is a schizoaffective disorder um, in your words? My words, it's a thought disorder. It's, it's something, it's, it's a chemical imbalance in your brain where you perceive things to be totally different than what they actually are. Um, your reality is different from other people's. You see and hear things that aren't there. Um, you, you know, you know, I mean, I have paranoia. Um, I have, it's a thought disorder where, you know, you just, you, you think your thinking is not the same as other people. I don't know how else to put it. Yeah. It's just not, it's just not the same as a normal quote, normal person would think. It's, yeah. Or like what physical reality is. So is it different than what physical reality is? Or is it kind of morphing physical reality? It's kind say? of morphing physical reality because like I know that I'm on earth, but sometimes I think I'm floating. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes I think like one time I thought, you know, Georgia was floating above the earth. Okay. And we were all, that. you know what I mean? And yeah. But... I was in Georgia. It was the reality was Georgia, mm -hmm. but we were all floating above the earth and, and it was just kind of strange, but yeah, my it, my reality was different from everybody else's. Okay. And I know you were also a social worker for several years. Did you deal with anyone else during that time that had similar issues to you? Yes. Um I mean, I I worked with the mentally ill for 15 years. I was a peer support specialist when I started. Um, I was then I became a case manager, mm -hmm. and then I went back to being a peer support. Um, and then I 
went back to case management and then I went back to peer support. Um, and I dealt with, yes, I dealt with people who had multiple issues, not only just schizophrenia. Um, I dealt with people who have personality disorders, mm-hmm. people who had, um, you know, people in and out of prison, people in and out, you know, out of the judicial system. Mm-hmm. Um, just different, a lot, uh, an array of different problems, not just mental illness per se that you would think of schizophrenia, depression, um, um, bipolar, you know, there's a lot, there's a spectrum of mental disorders out there, not just what you would think of, you know. So my question is, do, did you relate to some of the people that were in like, with similar mental illness to you? Did you have a lot of the same types of, um, morphs reality and, um, like similar, like with the floating or anything like that? Not necessarily the same um, delusions or whatever, but there were people who kind of reminded me of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, especially like, um, people who were, who their first break, who were going through it the first time, mm-hmm. kind of reminded me of myself when I first went through it. Okay. Um, because it was, you know, you're getting used to it and you just don't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's scary when, you know, you kind of think your life is over and you're, you're not going to amount to anything and nobody's going to want to be your, around you. And I mean, I, I didn't know what to expect from my family, my friends or anything, you know, because it's a taboo thing. Nobody wants to be around someone who has mental disorder. I mean, Mm-hmm. schizophrenia oh my god you know yeah and specifically that one because i know like mental illness in general has a stigma and that's why we are doing the podcast but with with that one specifically i think people have even more of a stigma with yeah, it. yeah i mean they call you psychotic if you're you know oh he's psychotic well you know psychotic is you know you're, you're not necessarily a murderer if you're psychotic you know yeah i mean so yeah I mean you're my god mom you're one of my favorite people in the entire world (laughs) so like I it's hard to hear when people say things like that because they just really don't know and and that's why I was really excited to do this episode because you are gonna give people insight into Mm -hmm. something that that people just don't really know about which is really exciting yeah and by the way you're you are the reason I had hope yeah? Yes. Why? Your mother asking me to be your godmother. Uh-huh. When I first had my first break, you were a, you were in you were I'm gonna cry. in your mother's womb. <laughs> yeah. When I had my first break. And when she asked me to be your godmother, I cried because I thought if she trusts me enough to be your godmother and I'm what I am then there's hope for me yet. Yeah. Seriously, you were the reason I had hope. Aww. Love you, Sophia. I love you, too. <laughs> wow. Well, I didn't Your know that. You. <laughs> yeah. And I've told that story to people. Um, 
So we we both just had COVID, so <laughs> we're a little bit like stuffy anyway, and then that just got really emotional for a minute there. <laughs> um, so you said that you've told that story to people. Have you told that story to people that you were working with, or just people in your life in general? I have told that story to people I was working with um, as a peer support. We um, had we do meetings, and we did peer support groups with other peer support specialists mm-hmm. and we would tell our stories to each other as peer support specialists and I told my told that in that group setting and I've told clients you know about about that story just just that there's hope and that there's always going to be somebody out there that loves you enough you know yeah and I think that's I don't know. I'm like I'm feeling really emotional hearing that because it it makes me feel almost sad that that you needed that in order to feel like hope that you didn't have that you were like hopeless to the point where you needed something like that to give you hope again, but mm-hmm. I'm really happy that you had that happen because I mean, I adore you. So <laughs> I'm stoked that you're my godmom. So um and I I never once as a kid was like thinking oh, I, I would be in bad hands if my mm-hmm. parents died. Because I know that's what that means. Like, okay, if your parents die, then that's yeah, who would be taking care true. of you. And yeah. I knew I would be taken care of, so. Yeah. And you, I don't know when you were told about my illness. I remember telling you when you were about 16 years old, I took you to lunch. Mm-hmm. I told you and your sister about yeah. why I took medication and and everything and you guys were so cool about it you're like oh okay you know yeah because I mean that's so and that's that's one of the things too about this illness is like you're almost two different people Mm -hmm. when you're ill or when you're going through an episode versus when you're not going through an episode and you're like correctly medicated and whatnot so I never met you when you were going through the episodes Mm -hmm. um you're just you're who you are to me and like having that story behind you doesn't change at all who I know you to be and I think it's the same way before you had the episode too is like your family knew exactly who you are and then Mm. the episode happened and then um, it doesn't change who you are when you're not going through an episode you know right right so and that's good that my family understood that because a lot of families don't a lot of families don't and I know some families who don't Mm -hmm. and that's where um, I do want to talk about like what happens when when a family doesn't because I don't know if you ever worked with anyone whose family didn't did, understand. I did. I did. Yeah, and it's it's tough because they think that you're just acting out or like mm-hmm. being manipulative or like doing these things, but they're not actually you, which I know very well. But um, I know people in my life who don't know that very well. Right. <laughs> um. So first, before we dive into that, I. I want to talk about that first episode and, like, what happened. And I know that, generally speaking, um, when you turn 18, around mm-hmm. around 18, 20 is when things start to manifest, if they're going to manifest. And I, I know that's not, like, a across-the-board blanket statement, but that's right. generally the case, right? Well, it happened for me when I was about 26 or 27, okay. which is late. You know, I I was always a depressed kid. I was mm-hmm. always, like, crying and not kind of fitting in and kind of, like, not understanding why I was so different. Mm-hmm. 
but I never really lost touch with reality until I was in my 20s. Okay. Late 20s. And do you know if there was, like, a trigger or if it was just that's the way it was meant to play um, out? I think I was just under a lot of stress. I was in a bad marriage. I got married when I was 24. Mm-hmm. And he was not the best thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a little bit of mm, pretty mentally abusive. Not physically, but mentally and emotionally very controlling and abusive to me, toward me. Yeah. Um, That's a whole episode verbally, right there. That's something I want to talk about in yeah, a whole episode, too. Yeah, not too. a nice, not a nice man. Um, and not to me, anyway. And um, being in that marriage, and then I was at a job that wasn't fulfilling, and I was I was I was a key punch operator, and all I did was sit in front of a computer and type all day long, hmm. and so I had a lot of time to just like think think, yeah. and I was kind of sitting there, and and that's when it all started. I was at work. Well, this is when I knew it started. This is, I mean, I don't know exactly when it started because <laughs> I didn't know it was happening until someone told me it was happening, yeah. to be honest with you. But I thought the people at work were talking about me. That's how it started. I thought they were talking about me. They were watching me. They were going through my things, mm-hmm. doing all this stuff. So I um, put my headphones on and I tried to drown them out and I would blast these headphones Mm-hmm. And of course, I could still hear them because it was in my head. But and I call my sister. Oh, they're talking about me. Then blah blah blah. And then um, one night, I got into a fight with my husband. I fell. We were rollerblading, and I fell. Okay, and I didn't hurt myself. Yeah, I loved to rollerblade back then. Okay, and I fell, and um, I uh. Hurt, I tore a ligament. I hurt my leg really bad. And he was being really cruel to me. Like, wouldn't let me go to a doctor. Hmm. Talking about playing, get, you know, some game called Whirly Ball. And, you know, all kind of just went out to lunch, did all this stuff. Didn't take me home. And so when we finally got home, I was crying and I, like, slammed the door and I was all upset. And then he yelled at me. Hmm. So we got into a... A fight, and I called my sister. I asked her to come take, come get me, bring me home, you know, to her house. So, what ended up happening was your mom came and got me. Okay. She took me to her house, mm-hmm. which is your house now, and um, I said something to her. She's the one who found out. Your mom is the one who discovered my mental illness. I okay. don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that. Yes. And I said to her, Something to the effect, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I said, don't you know they're out there watching us right now, or can't you hear them? Something to that effect, like, I thought the people from work were outside Mm -hmm. watching us. Okay. And I said something to your mom. Okay. And she's like, oh my gosh, what's going on with Lisa? Yeah. And she got on the phone, I don't remember who she called. But she's the one who discovered my mental illness. Okay. So, when it was pointed out to you, so, like, that's where I don't even know. Like, so you're kind of in this altered state of reality, so 
if someone points that out to you, do you even know, like, do you acknowledge that? Or is it just become I, part of no, the I was, reality? I was in denial. I was like, no, they're out there. I'm not crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. They're telling you what to say. Okay. You know, I, I was convinced that, okay, it got real complicated, like, as time went on, because, mm-hmm. you know, I could hear the doctor in my head. Okay. It was this doctor, and, you know, he was telling them what to tell what to talk, tell me. Okay. Because I could hear him, and they, they called it something, and I don't remember the name, some big, long word. Okay. But I could hear what... I could hear the doctor say what they were going to say to me before they said it. Okay. It was weird. It's weird. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but they, but they didn't actually say what they were going to say before you heard it. You I, just, you just thought that you heard it before they said what yes. they said. Okay. Um, but at the time you didn't know that. Exactly. Okay. So then you thought they kind of became part of the altered reality. Like, no, they, they, the doctor was just telling them what to say to me. Okay, but I mean, it's still... Okay, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so they didn't co- go into your head, but they were... Right. Part of the scheme against you. They were part of you. the scheme against me. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And so how... I know with some of the people that I, I know are going through a similar situation, um, the, the issue is they're afraid to confront the person who's going through the episode because they're afraid that, that that person is going to end up resenting them and that, they, that you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, did what happened for you when when they when they were confronted? I I did. I I okay. The first time I didn't resent them okay. because I I they didn't. I never ended up in the hospital the first time. Okay. They nurtured me. They got me to take my medication. My they brought me down here. And they nurtured me. My mom had me promise her to take my medication, and that's how they got me to take it, because okay. I wasn't going to break a promise I made to my mother. Okay. Because I loved her that much. Um, so I did. I started taking my medication, and I got better, and I got better for 20 years. So how, if you were in denial at first, how did you go from the transition of being in denial um, to being willing to take the medication? The only reason I took the medication was because I promised my because mother I would take it. Okay, so you didn't actually think you were sick when you started taking the medication. Right. You just wanted to please your mom? Yes. Okay, so if somebody else is in a situation like that where the person is in denial, um, and I think this is almost kind of what happened the second time, too, is they gave you a choice, almost. Like, I know um, it was either, like, you could stay where you were staying with people that you knew and like a a house over your head or you would have to leave and that was kind of my understanding of what happened with the second time of like what why Um, you decided to do what you did well i know well unless uh, that's not (laughs) (laughs) not what you remember no but see i didn't know i was coming down here either so maybe that did happen but um i was resentful the second time after you got better again or no Yes. Okay. I resented having to come down here because I felt like I was forced to come down to Georgia. Okay. Um, I felt like they pretty much lied to me to get me down here. Okay. As I said, I was coming for the summer. 
and then I would be able to come back after the summer and and then when the summer was over I was like nope you're not going back okay um now what I know happened <laughs> this is what I, my version okay of what happened was I was in the hospital and they wanted me to take a shot okay and I f- refused a shot at first okay and then finally one day I just said fine just give me the shot (laughs) yeah and they gave me the shot and it worked it you know I I started coming back to reality where um I was still delusional you know it didn't happen overnight whatever yeah but um I was eventually able to be released I mean I was in that hospital for like almost a month yeah and um you know after a couple of shots you know after taking the shot a few times um but I I was still resentful because you know I felt like I was forced down here and I still feel like I was forced down here I still feel that way yeah um do you still feel resentful like at the people who like encourage you to come down here or do you just feel resentful kind of at the whole situation that happened like I feel like they they didn't encourage me to come down here Sophia they lied to me to get me down here mm-hmm. but they did it for my own good they yeah. did it because it's the only way I could get better yeah now I know why they did it yeah okay um and does it hinder your like? That's I guess the next question. There is no. Does it? Does it? Does I feel like Uncle Bernie saved my life. Okay. Uncle Bernie, Aunt Denise, Aunt Angela, all of them were involved in this whole getting me down here thing, mm-hmm. and telling me I'd only be down here for a couple months and all this, mm-hmm. which was a big fat lie. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I'm still upset about that. Yeah. But. They saved my life. Yeah. So I can't be mad at that. Yeah. Yeah, it is hard. It is, it, and I got to get my words, but, because <laughs> there's just so much I want to say to that, but I don't know if there was another option. I don't know. I don't think there was. Yeah. I was acting so irrational. I know now that what I was doing, I was running away. I was running into the woods. I was gone for hours. I was getting lost. I freaking ran out into the street and told some lady I was homeless. Mm-hmm. Had her take me to a homeless shelter. Ended up in the hospital. You know, I mean, I know what I was doing was dangerous, risky behavior. Yeah. And, you know, I tried to kill myself in Michigan. Yeah. And I ended up in the hospital for a month then, too. And I almost died. I mean, I know, I know. Yeah. You know, that's why I say they saved my life. Mm -hmm. And what, what I, what I was doing was not, you know, I set a fire in Denise's yard. Yeah. (laughs) For crying out loud. You know, it it wasn't a big fire. It was just a, it wasn't like I was going to set the house, set the house on fire, but I did, you know, whatever. Um, Yeah. I remember when you were in the hospital for trying to take your life um and like we came to visit you and I was just 
a mess. <laughs> mm. Because nobody wants that. Because <laughs> mm. we love you. I know, Sophia. <sighs> Sorry. But that's, I mean, it's a lot. Um, and so for, for anyone out there who is listening, um, if you do have a family member going that through something like that and you're afraid um, that they will end up resenting you for having to make some difficult choices that could include lying to them, um, you know, it's better than not having them around anymore. It. And, and I'm like here to said, say, yeah. you know, if they're rational people and they, they will understand that eventually they will understand that you saved their life. When they get better when they get again. better. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, I don't know everything from what happened. Like, I know you said on your end of things, it felt like they just kept asking you, if you would take the shot, and then eventually you said, just give it to me, and mm -hmm. whatever, you gave in. Um, I was kind of under the impression that they told, they kind of gave you an ultimatum. So, I think that, at least with it, whether I'm right about, about them giving you that kind of ultimatum or not, at least the first time, they, they kind of said something that you could understand even going through the delusion that you were going through, um, which was they capitalized on, like, that you had a lot of love for your mom still, even, like, through mm -hmm. the delusion. So that was how they got you to take them as the first time, was making that promise. So I guess, like, if I am qualified at all to offer any advice, maybe something along those lines of, like, finding something that they are um, at least not feeling delusional about and, like, capitalize on that to help give them... Um, get them in the right direction. Mm -hmm. That would be what I would have to say on that. Um, did you have anything you wanted to add or? No, you're. I think that's pretty, pretty well on point. Yeah. So um, I'm curious as to like how it has how it affects you when you're um, not going through an episode because like we've talked about some of the things that you did while you were going through the episode and some of the things that you felt. Um, but when you are good, like now, um, I know that, that schizophrenia isn't the only, th or schizoaffective disorder, um, <laughs> isn't the only thing that you struggle with, because, like, as you said at the beginning, you, uh, were always depressed, and I, I'm pretty sure that that's still something that you also struggle with, too. Yes, depression, anxiety, yeah. 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 So how does, like, having those other things, in addition to the schizoaffective disorder, like, impact you, and how do you deal with that? Um, that's a well, lot all at once. <laughs> yeah. Well, I take medication for, um, depression. I don't take anything for the anxiety. First of all, they don't prescribe it where I, where I get my services from. They don't prescribe anything for anxiety. Okay. Um, I do a lot of listening to music helps me relax. I, um, I, um, with depression, I haven't had a whole lot of depression lately. That's good. Um. I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> I know. And this is really not a good thing to say, but since, since Nona 
passed away. Mm-hmm. I haven't had as much stress. Okay. And as much, like I'm grieving her loss. Yeah. And I cry all the time about it, but I'm not depressed. Yeah. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Because the stress from taking care of her is no more. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm grieving, but I'm not as stressed out, so I'm not as depressed. Yeah. If that makes any Cause sense. Because depression is more than just sadness, if yeah. you're listening and you don't know. Um, yeah. It's not just sadness. Sadness is sadness. Depression is like this crippling, non-functional condition where you, you just feel like you're being... Can't move. Yeah, something is like sitting on top of you and you, you aren't able to move. It's just like... That's how I would describe it. So it's, yeah. it's not just sadness. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I, I don't want to sound callous because a lot of people don't know the difference between depression and sadness. Yeah. Because I am sad that my mother has passed away, but I'm not depressed, if that yeah. makes any sense. Yeah. And I know stress, um, which we have talked about before on the podcast, is that um, stress is a huge trigger for anxiety and depression and and clearly um also schizoaffective disorder schizophrenia because you said that 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 was one of the things that could have possibly triggered it when it did yeah um because you were under a lot of stress with the relationship that you were in right and the second trigger second time i i stopped taking my medication i was working and i had a high stress job okay and i stopped taking i was i was under a lot of stress i was having symptoms while I was working mm-hmm. and I stopped working because I couldn't handle the job anymore mm-hmm. then I stopped taking my medication after I stopped working okay so um happened. you said you were having symptoms while you were at work does that mean they were kind of poking through the medication mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so is that possible to uh, um, does that mean you were on the wrong medication or does that mean it means that... the medication wasn't working anymore okay so are you on a different one now yes okay so it worked for 20 years and then mm-hmm. it didn't anymore. Mm-hmm. That's, that's tough. But it's good to know that there was something else out there that could start working. Yeah, for yeah. I just needed a med change. And, you know, my psychiatrist that I had for 10 years had just passed away too. Hmm. And so I was, I was going through different psychiatrists. I didn't like the psychiatrist I had. Yeah. On and on and on and on. There's a lot of triggers. A lot of triggers. Yeah, that relationship is really important. I know when I was seeking therapy myself, I I was with several people before I found the person I'm with now that didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't have a connection with, and and I just continued to feel horrible. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, I think that that answers all the questions that. I have. Um, I'm just trying to think if there's anything else that we could like offer to someone listening who's either going through an episode or like has that feeling of not having hope um, Mm -hmm. or like that people won't want to hang out with you because you have this. I think that that's not true. Um, so there is hope and I hope that this story at least has given you hope too. If you don't have yeah. any, um, I don't know. Um, there are, I, I do want to say, be careful though, mm-hmm. who you tell mm-hmm. about, don't go. I mean, I was told this by people too. Um, 
be careful who you tell mm-hmm. because there are cruel people out there. Yeah. So just, you know, I, I make sure it's people that make you trust. sure it's people you trust that you tell, you know, your, your story to. Yeah. And to say, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. I know this was a lot. Um, and it was emotional. So, um, and I know that you don't necessarily like talking about yourself too much either. So mm-hmm. this is like a big thing for you. So I really, really appreciate you doing this because I do think it's going to help people out there. So. I hope so. Yeah. So I love you. I love you more. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, thanks guys. And we will, we'll check back in in two weeks. All right. Bye-bye.